0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: You've probably already gotten your first bug bite of the season, but itch is way more than skin deep. I thought that all it was telling us was how do we sense something outside of our body, but it's teaching us how we sense everything, not just outside of our body, not just the five senses, but a thousand senses. This week on Unexplainable, scientists have barely scratched the surface of itch. So how deep does it go? Listen to Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. Hey folks, we are still learning more about the horrific attack on Paul Pelosi, the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The suspect is now facing federal charges— of assaulting an immediate family member of a federal official and attempting to kidnap a federal official. In other news, the Department of Justice recruited an experienced national security prosecutor to join the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation. And a number of former Trump administration officials, including Mark Meadows, Pat Cipollone, and Pat Philbin, are fighting to avoid testifying in the investigations involving Trump. Meanwhile, the criminal tax fraud trial against the Trump Organization started this week in New York. And if that wasn't enough, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in cases challenging affirmative action policies in college admissions. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just one dollar for one month. You can do that at cafe.com/insider. That's cafe.com/insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community.
0: You know, this feels like such a scattershot week. There is so much going on that I think a lot of the difficulty is figuring out where to look. You know, it's it. what was Obama saying this weekend when he was giving that speech? People were distracting and he kept saying, don't be like the dog in Up, right? And he started going, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. I've felt that way all week because there are so many legal stories breaking. What do you think is the most important in all of this?
1: Oh, I don't know what the most important one is. I think the most shocking is the Paul Pelosi attack. You know, the other issues, like the Trump Organization trial we knew was coming, the Trump investigation on documents we know has been ongoing. The January 6th investigation has been ongoing. Everyone understood that on the docket for the Supreme Court, was oral argument in two important affirmative action cases. But the Paul Pelosi thing is new. And to the extent it is appropriate to draw a straight line or even a dotted line from irresponsible political rhetoric and demonizing of Nancy Pelosi and others to an actual attack on her family, I think that's incredibly important because my worry, and we've been talking about this for a while, is what does it portend for political violence. And the worst thing that can happen in America, beyond polarization and other kinds of dysfunction, is political violence. And we've been talking about that since January 6th of 2021.
0: It underlines the point that so many people have made, which is that the insurrection didn't end on January 6th. And the problem is we don't have two functioning parties, both of which are insisting on a peaceful transfer of power and making the point that political violence is never acceptable. That, I think, is the breakdown that leads to this. And, and look, people are going to make a lot of excuses. They'll say that this was one man, you know, that maybe he had mental issues. And they'll they'll try to marginalize what happened here with those sorts of explanations. But to me, the, the point that emerges, and I'm really relieved to learn that Speaker Pelosi's husband is recovering, she's third in line to the presidency. Someone attacks her, and this was a result of years of of this harmful political rhetoric that has targeted her and of the fact that it hasn't been rejected by leaders in the Republican Party. People love to both sides things, and there's plenty of blame to go around, right? Democrats have to be quick, I think, to demonize political violence or threats when they're made against Republicans, and largely that happens, but we can always all do better. The problem here, though, is a failure by our leaders to make it clear in no uncertain terms that this kind of stuff is unacceptable because once you fail to marginalize people who engage in political violence, it creeps into the mainstream. That's what's happening here.
1: I agree with all of that. Let's start with a preliminary caution. And you see this play out and unfold in real time frequently. So we get the report that there's been an attack on Paul Pelosi, the Speaker's husband. But in the initial moments of reporting, we don't know the facts. We don't ha- hear from witnesses. We don't have an official document. There's some leaking going on. There's some speculation going on. There's some conspiracy theorizing going on. And you, m- one must resist in the, in the first moments and maybe even hours and days of an event, they must resist speculating and coming to a conclusion, particularly if the conclusion is one you want to reach for a political narrative. Now, I'm not both sidesing things, but I will say I was dismayed to see that right out of the box, before there was any evidence to make it clear, I heard people more than speculate that it was an act of political violence and it was targeting the Pelosi family because of who Nancy Pelosi is, when it very well could have been an act of random violence, uh, you know, a home invasion for purposes of taking money or jewelry or property And I saw people on cable television. I'm not going to say which cable network, but I think it's one that you're very familiar with, Joyce. (laughs) (laughs) Where there were very responsible people that morning who were saying, let's not speculate, let's not speculate. And I saw one or two people who couldn't resist engaging in not just speculation, but sort of concluding that it had to be that. Now, we now have information, and we're going to spend some time talking about it, that it looked like it was motivated, or almost clearly was motivated for political reasons. But that wasn't known in the first hour.
0: So can I just underscore what you're saying? Because I do think this is really important. Fundamentals, as a prosecutor, you have to prove every element of a crime before you can get a conviction. We should let a little bit of that caution that federal prosecutors use when assessing a situation come into being when we look at a situation like this. I was on TV really shortly after this news broke and was making the point that just because you have a burglary, just because you have a break-in, you don't necessarily have an assault. You don't necessarily have an assault on a federal official's family member. You have to go through all of the facts. And there's this fog of war early on with lots of rumors tend to swirl around, inaccurate information It's good to wait until you have a better picture of the facts until you try to assess what happened and whether it was politically motivated. And I, of course, got roundly criticized in some quarters for doing that, but I think that this is a good approach. Here, it's important that we not jump to conclusions. And, and, you know, there are still some tricks, and DOJ has clearly made a decision now because they charged yesterday that they can charge this as an assault on an official's family, but you do have to establish a defendant's specific intent to interfere or intimidate the official in the performance of their official duties by attacking, in this case, the spouse. So this stuff is not a gimme. It's not obvious. It's not always easy. And I think it behooves us to be led by the facts and not by speculation or, or as you say, Preet, the preordained narrative that some people want to go after.
1: So the people who are most guilty of that? And some of whom have said disgusting things based on the narrative that they want to propose are the people who have said, before there was any evidence to say one way or the other, a conspiracy theory that the intruder and Paul Pelosi somehow were in a gay tryst in the middle of the night and were having a lover's spat with a hammer, both in their underwear. Now, do an anatomy of the falsehood a little bit. There was one outlet, I understand, that without any evidence at all suggested that the perpetrator was in his underwear. And that was later retracted. Meanwhile, the entire MAGA universe, the entire MAGA universe ran with this idea that you had a deranged guy, maybe a male prostitute, or some other person known to Paul Pelosi came over when Nancy was away and were having some sort of a relationship or consensual relationship. And there was no evidence for that.
0: And it comes from the Santa Monica Observer, a paper well-known for spouting lies. I think it has something like a 45 score for truthfulness, which is just beyond the pale. So this is that sort of irresponsible reporting that takes off. It's why Preet and I so often caution people to to be careful early, right?
1: I didn't tweet about the issue at all. for for quite a bit. By the way, that newspaper, that outlet, if you want to call it an outlet, has said in the past, among other things, that Hillary Clinton died six years ago. And what you saw in the debates was a body double. So the idea that you take something that they say with a grain of salt is a dramatic, dramatic understatement.
0: But that didn't happen here. It it became the truth almost instantly in in MAGA world.
1: And by the way, even if it was the truth, and it wasn't, and that's, we can point that out to folks from the reporting and also from the federal complaint that was filed. You know, this, this is, I think, maybe quite a statement. Some of the most disgusting things that have come out of the mouth of some MAGA folks happened since the Paul Pelosi attack. I've often thought the most odious Trump is Donald Trump, and that's probably true because he had power and may have power again, and he has so much influence. But probably the more odious Trump, in some ways, is his son, Donald Jr., did you see this? He posted a picture of men's briefs.
0: We call those tidy whities Well,
1: I call them briefs. <laughs> and a hammer. And he posted the caption, I got my Paul Pelosi Halloween costume. This is an 80-something-year-old man who was bludgeoned in the head with a hammer, who had a skull fracture, who had to go into emergency surgery, the husband of someone who's in line for the presidency, and whatever the circumstances that's something that the son of the former president makes fun of? I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's pretty high on the list of most disgusting things I've seen.
0: You know, I struggle a lot with the the notion of how good people of whatever faith reconcile their personal values with the value-free sort of environment that the Trumps and Donald Trump Jr. in particular seem to operate in. This one I just can't resolve in any way. It's just so repugnant that he would do that And not be called out by people. And I think this is something that that troubles me, that we're obviously not going to resolve today. But why is there this cavalier acceptance of this kind of behavior? This is the sort of thing that if a Democrat did it, Republicans would be calling it out. They need to call it out when Donald Trump Jr. does it as well.
1: Look, there is some kind of reasonable disagreement you can have about the events. So, for example, for the sake of argument, I think a reasonable person on the right can say, I don't agree with them, but can say that it is overdeterminative to say that there's a you know direct line, as I mentioned earlier, a direct line or a cause and effect relationship between certain kinds of rhetoric about Nancy Pelosi and the attack. And you can say, well, what really happened here was a person who has mental illness and other issues and problems took it upon himself to engage in some conduct. And that is not arguably, per these people, that is not arguably a full-scale indictment of all Trump supporters. And you can have that debate and have that argument. But to post a Halloween costume in the way that Donald Trump Jr. did, there's no excuse for that. There's no justification for that whatsoever. Now, to be fair, there were a number of Republican officials, including people that, you know, folks on the left criticized from time to time, like Mitch McConnell, who issued full-throated denunciations of the violence. And that is as it should be. When Steve Scalise is shot by somebody on the left for political reasons, that should be called out and denounced and criticized. And people should express horror at that. And when the shoe is on the other foot, the same thing should happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I remember how shocking it was, the congressional baseball practice shooting where Steve Scalise is injured. And there was a mood in the country of, Everyone was united, in a way, in condemning that. That's how we should always react to political violence.
1: Because political violence is something that can happen to any side. Now, do I think that the rhetoric on one side and the calls to and excuses for political violence are much stronger on one side than the other side? Yeah, absolutely. But no one's immune. Once it becomes open season, rhetorically and otherwise, and if actual acts of violence are treated with comedy then you have a big problem, and what comes around goes around, and we don't want to live in a country like that, right?
0: It comes down to, and again, I try to resist demonizing the Republican Party, mostly because some of my good friends are Republicans, and and I want to be fair, but here I don't think it's unfair to demand that the Republican leadership do a better job of holding folks accountable when they engage in in this sort of acceptance of of the sort of rhetoric that leads to this. I think your point is fair, Preet, that people can debate whether, in this case, it's a result of the demonization of Nancy Pelosi. It's tough to believe that some random dude just decides to break into their house at 2 a.m. with a hammer unless he's been exposed to this rhetoric over time. Maybe the takeaway is that we should all be much more careful about using violent rhetoric. I I know I sometimes say we need to fight hard in this election, and increasingly I'm trying to be more thoughtful about not using that kind of rhetoric.
1: So let's talk about what happened, because there's still some confusion about it. The most definitive source of information, to my mind, is the affidavit sworn to by an FBI agent in connection with federal charges, two federal charges being brought against the perpetrator whose name, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing correctly, David DePape, David DePape, we're going to go with DePape. And we'll get to the the charges in a moment and whether they're viable. I know you've spent some time thinking about it and the challenges there. But look, until more of the facts were known, this was not going to be a federal criminal case. But to, to go to the facts, per the affidavit, the perpetrator, the intruder, shows up, breaks the glass of a back door and query how easy or hard that was at two something in the morning on Friday and goes to the bedroom and confronts the sleeping Paul Pelosi. So far, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Then they engage in conversation when it becomes clear that de Pape says he's going to hold Nancy hostage and talk to her. And Paul Pelosi says, well, she's not here. And de Pape essentially says, well, I'll wait for her. There comes this moment that saved probably Paul Pelosi's life when he's able to make a 911 call from the bathroom.
0: He keeps a remarkably cool head here. That's, that's the one thing that really emerges as you read this affidavit, how, how cool he was in the face of this guy's presence in his house.
1: But do you understand precisely from the complaint how he's able to make the 911 call?
0: You know, I I don't hear. I had seen some other reporting that suggested that his phone was charging in the bathroom, that he tells the intruder that he has to use the bathroom. I'm not clear on how well that holds up, but that does make a certain amount of sense.
1: Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.